Good evening and welcome to Voicebox, KLW's fab weekly series all about the art of song and the best of the vocal music scene from the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Chloe Veltman. It's a great pleasure to be with you once again. Tonight's voice box is a little different, actually. My producer and I have travelled a bit, about seven miles, from the KALW studio to the UCSF Medical Centre to have a discussion about, what else, but travelling. Travelling is part of everyday life for many professional singers, but touring can be challenging to vocalists from a health perspective. Cramped tour buses, airless planes and the decrepit sound systems of small-town music clubs consistently threaten to undermine a singer's state of well-being on the road, as well as the quality of the performances they give at their various destinations. But on tonight's show, help is at hand. Here at the UCSF Medical Centre, in her office actually, we have Sarah Schneider, a speech-language pathologist at the UCSF Voice and Swallowing Centre and a member of the American Speech-Language Hearing Association. Sarah is also a singer herself. She's studied voice privately in addition to performing in choruses and musical theatre productions. Hello, Sarah. So great to have you on Voicebox again, and thanks so much for generously hosting tonight. Thanks for having me, Chloe. And joining us on the phone is Joanna Kasdan. Based in Los Angeles, Joanna is a voice teacher and medical speech pathologist at Caesars Sinai Medical Centre, where she specialises in voice rehabilitation for artists. Hi, Joanna. Thanks for being on the end of the line. Thank you. Great to be with you. Joanna is also a singer and a member of the American Speech Language Hearing Association. Let's kick off tonight's vocal health related theme with a quirky rendition of an early 17th century broadside all about one of the worst habits that a singer can have, nicotine addiction. Welcome. This is Voicebox on KALW. Tonight's show is devoted to an exploration of the ways in which singers can stay healthy while on the road. I'm chatting tonight with two speech pathologists. Sarah Schneider is with me in her office at UCSF and Joanna Kazan is joining us from LA on the phone. We just listened to Joanna singing a 17th century broadside entitled Tobacco. Obviously, smoking is terrible for singers, whether they're touring or staying home. Joanna, you've spent some time on the road as a musician. Has passive smoke ever been a problem for you? Um, I don't think so. Uh, Most of my performing was in um, folk clubs or the early women's centres, and there wasn't really a lot of smoking there. I I did not um, have the style of music where I was in bars or other smoke venues. I think probably the, the... car and truck exhaust from the miles of freeways was, <laughs> was more of an air hazard than, than tobacco at that time. Sarah, do you think that touring makes singers pick up bad habits like smoking more than when they're at home? Uh, I hope not. Um, I think that while there are stressors on the road, hopefully if you're not a smoker when you leave, you're not a smoker when you come back. It strikes me that being away from home for any artist for extended periods of time can be really bad for one's mental and physical state. We know this from the sheer volume of songs that have been devoted to the downsides of being a touring musician. I'm sitting in the railway 
railway station Got a ticket for my destination Suitcase and guitar in hand And every stop is neatly planned For a poet and a one-man band Homeward bound I wish I was Homeward bound Home where my thoughts escaping Home where my music's Tonight's edition of Voicebox, voice pathologists Sarah Schneider and Joanna Kasdan are with me for a discussion about vocal health care while touring. We just heard from a trio of pop singers on the subject of life on the road. The first track was Homeward Bound from Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel's Old Friends album. Then we heard Canned Heat with On the Road Again. And finally, Carol King gave us her heartfelt song, You're So Far Away. Now, none of these singers make touring sound very glamorous. Joanna, singers never seem to tire of writing and singing songs on the theme of travelling. Why do you think that being on the road is such a popular subject for singers? And why are so many road songs such downers? Well, it's, it, it's actually a very, a very difficult life. Um, it's one of the reasons I gave it up. Um, and, and it takes up most of your time when you're not performing you're, or sound-checking or rehearsing you're dealing with travel, and so if someone's in that life for, you know, so many weeks out of the year or whatever, there, there's not that much else to write about. I kind of made it a point not to, because I, I knew that was my experience, but not what my audience was going through. But it does really, you know, consume you. It affects how you sleep and what you eat and when you see your family and who you're spending time with and what you look at out the window and, you know, it's, it's, it becomes its, its own reality. So, Sarah, what percentage of the vocalists that you see in your clinic spend a lot of time on the road? And what about you too, Joanna? Um, as far as our caseload, I would say it's a, only a small portion. Um, we have some artists that um, we've followed for an extended period of time that may go out on tour. We also have artists that are in town transiently that we see if they're having issues. Um, so it's not a huge part of our caseload. I, w- I would agree. Um, 
again, for one thing, if people are traveling, they're not able to um, be involved in an ongoing therapy program, and that's that's one of the one of the challenges that they face. Um, there are people who will sort of stop in when they're in town, um, but it may also be that the tour musicians aren't necessarily based in the cities where we live. What are some of the main reasons why people come to you when they're touring? Uh, it could be because of illness. Um, if they have a cold and they have a show coming up, um, it could be a sudden voice change. Like, for example, if they're in the middle of a show and their voice kind of cuts out on them. Um, some people have vocal hemorrhages. Some people just have swelling from a cold. It could be any of those. Do people tend to come of their own volition or are they referred to you? And if the latter, by whom? Um, at some points, people do come on their own. I think some people have sort of ongoing problems that they finally reach a point where they have to come in. Um, and other people, maybe their manager or their producer or, you know, um, somebody from their company refers them. Are the touring musicians who come for treatments usually based near your clinics or do you also see singers who are based elsewhere but drop in in the middle of a tour? We definitely see people that drop in in the middle of a tour. Um, I would say I feel like that's probably the majority of touring artists that we see. Um, and if it's sort of an established patient, it's kind of um, just a fluke that they're going on tour. Maybe they've had a problem in the past and they're just checking in before or after a tour. Have you ever had a touring musician drop in on you in a complete emergency situation? Well, the, the people that I'm thinking of either were, I'm, I'm thinking of a couple of folks who were part of touring Broadway type shows you know, on the eight shows a week schedule, and they're in a city for a certain period of time. And there was one singer, for instance, who knew that she was starting to have trouble a couple cities out, but she was going to have a long enough run in L.A. that that's when she could deal with it. So she used the, the, the duration of the run because she, would, she knew she'd be in one place. Um, to get the medical referral and get the checkup. And in fact, you know, she had a, a hemorrhage and actually lost her voice in the middle of the show right before she landed in L.A. There was another, another gentleman that I, I remember very clearly who waited until really the end of the tour. And he had been doing, again, eight shows a week. The, the Mondays off were the travel day to the next city, so they, there was really never a break. And he was in the same show for two years and got bronchitis in the middle and had to kind of keep pushing through. And it was only when, when that particular run was over and he could kind of stay still for a while that he finally could admit, okay, I need to get to a doctor, I need to get this figured out before I audition for, for whatever the next big you know, year-long commitment is going to be. People outside the life probably don't have a sense of how much they're, how much these folks are hurting. But other times it can be just a cold that they're like, I, I don't know if I can perform tonight, and then the physicians, you know, have some sort of medical management that they might use. Have you ever advised a performer to quit, to cancel their performance that evening? Um, in the case of a, hem a vocal hemorrhage where there's actual blood in the vocal fold, we would definitely recommend that um, the patient cancel their performance. You know, we try to, if it's not a vocal hemorrhage, if it's, an, you know, an, a vocal fold lesion or if it's something like that, we try to support the singer getting through and sort of seeing how can they modify their schedule. Um, 
So we try at all costs to try to avoid canceling performances if possible. Right, because it would be awful to have yes. the guilt of knowing all those thousands <laughs> of fans yeah, exactly. uh, being disappointed about not being able to see their hero. Right. So what are your main goals as speech pathologists in terms of treating touring musicians? Our main goals are to, are to keep them healthy or get them healthy again. And um, the sh- as people say, the show must go on. So we try to um, get the ball rolling again. Um, it all depends on the case, whether it's an acute emergency uh, in vocal change or if it's something that's been ongoing um, that, that affects how we would treat it. I think the, 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 the core issue for so many of these folks, and, and really for singers in general, is, is not taking seriously how much attention they need to spend taking care of themselves. And at some level, there's, there's self-esteem issues. They show up a little differently with women and with men. Men are going to try to just muscle on through and, and prove that they're tough enough to take it, whereas women just tend not to want to admit that, that, that anything is wrong. Um, but either way, they're trained to use themselves up as artists, and that if they're saying, no, I really can't go out after the show, I have to sleep, or taking other precautions that we may recommend, they're afraid, oh, everybody will think I'm a diva. And I, I constantly say, if the other people on the tour who are not singers think that you're being a diva, then you know you're doing enough. <laughs> because non-singers won't understand how much you have to take care of your body because your instrument is inside it. And if you're not eating right and not sleeping and not getting some, some stretch and exercise every day, um, not to mention hydration and steam and all the other more medical things, the instrument is not going to hold up. It's not like a guitar that you can just put back in the case overnight. Tell me about this business of establishing a baseline. Why is that important? So it's always good to know exactly what your vocal folds look like and feel pretty confident in in your vocal mechanism before you go out on the road. Because, say, for example, you have a little bit of fullness on your vocal folds that you is just you. Um, Then when you're out on the road and say you run into some vocal problems and you go see another physician or a physician or a speech pathologist that does a stroboscopy and they say, oh my gosh, you have fullness on your vocal folds, you can say, oh no, that's always there. And you can be sort of educated on, we don't have to freak out about this, I know that it's there. You can reach me by railway You can reach me by railway you can reach me on an airplane. You can reach me with your mind. You can reach me by caravan. Cross the desert like an errand man. I don't care how you get here. Just get here if you can. You can reach me by a sailboat. On tonight's Voice Box, here on KALW 91.7 FM with me, Chloe Veltman, speech pathologists Sarah Schneider and Joanna Kasdan are on hand for a discussion about vocal health care on the road. We just heard the luminous Olita Adams describing some of the many ways in which her lover might travel to join her. You can reach me by sailboat, climb a tree and swing rope to rope. 
take a sled and slide down the slope into these arms of mine. You can jump on a speedy colt, cross the border in a blaze of hope. I don't care how you get here, just get here if you can. Sarah and or Joanna, how does the mode of transportation that a singer takes while touring affect their ability to sing at the top of their game? I, I think each, each uh, mode of transportation has its, has its problems. Um, airplanes are certainly fast and relatively smooth, but very dry, and you're jumping time zones, so that can just, as every traveler knows, that can disrupt sleep schedules, medication schedules. Um, tra- I just was working with someone who did a, a, a tour by van, and ended up sleeping in the van while somebody else is driving, and they're you know they're just rattling along, and and then she wondered why her voice was fatigued for the second show. <laughs> I'm I'm not sure there's a really good way to do it unless you're you know you're really at the at the top ranks and have your own private jet with a with a bed in it. <laughs> All day I faced a barren waste without the taste of water, cool water. Old Dan and I with throats burnt dry and souls that cry for water. This is Voice Box on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco. I'm visiting vocal health expert Sarah Schneider at her office at the UCSF Medical Center for a conversation about the challenges facing touring vocalists. Also with us on the phone from Los Angeles is voice specialist Joanna Kasdan. The track we just heard was the 1930s song Cool Water by Bob Nolan. We listened to the best-selling recorded version of the song by Vaughan Monroe and the Sons of the Pioneers from 1948. Now water, or a lack of it, is a serious hazard to singers as they travel about. Sarah, how much water should a travelling singer drink ideally in a day? I think a good rule of thumb is eight eight eight-ounce glasses, so 64 ounces of water a day. If you're drinking caffeine or alcohol, which can be drying, you want to increase your water. Another good rule of thumb is to pee pale, and then you know you're well hydrated. So that, that baseline that you just quoted there of 64 ounces a day, that's um, average for singers wherever they are. Do you, you don't think that singers who are travelling should drink more than that necessarily or accommodate for the fact they're going to be in drier environments? I, I think that's definitely a consideration. It all depends on the person. Hopefully that singer knows their body and knows I'm headed, headed to dry and arid Arizona, so I'm going to drink a little more water or I'm in Denver and the elevation is higher, so maybe I need a little bit of water, more water. So hopefully um, the singer knows themselves and is able to adjust for that. But other, you know, forms of hydration in addition to water could be like steam um, or humidification. Um, Those things could also help with staying hydrated. I I often recommend that as soon as people land, as soon as they can get to the hotel, take a shower. Before Before you do sound check, before you, you know, go find food, just get a few minutes of steam in your airway. How should singers handle being in noisy travel environments like trains and planes in terms of how much they talk? Um, Sometimes, actually, the talking can be more um, 
I don't know if harmful is the right word, more uh, detrimental to the voice than actually singing, because usually we think about how we're singing and we don't necessarily think how we're talking. So I think being careful to avoid speaking over a lot of noise is really good as far as voice conservation. Anything to add to that, Joanna? Earplugs and noise-canceling headphones. I wear both. (laughs) Take it seriously. Hello, hello, baby, you called, I can't hear a thing. I have got no service in the club, you say, say. What, what, what did you say? Oh, you're breaking up on me. Sorry, I cannot hear you, I'm kind of busy. This is Voicebox on KALW and that was Lady Gaga with Telephone, an appropriate song for tonight's show all about the challenges facing touring vocal artists and how they can take good care of themselves to give the best performance they can wherever they are and no matter how far they've travelled to get there. With me are vocal health gurus and American Speech Language Hearing Association members Sarah Schneider and Joanna Kasdan. The song we just heard, Telephone, is all about the problems associated with trying to speak to someone over cell phone in a noisy club. It's also one of Lady Gaga's biggest hits and the singer is currently on a huge national tour. Now Lady Gaga's interesting because she wears such elaborate costumes on stage. Sarah, how do costumes affect a performer's ability to sing optimally? Uh, There could be, it it depends on the costume, there could be multiple uh, factors. One could be the weight of the costume, um, how tight it is around the rib cage and the stomach and waist, um, if it's a corset or something to that effect. Or it could be a headpiece that inhibits head motion or um, gets heavy and is just weighing you down. (laughs) What advice would you give Lady Gaga as she makes her way around the country? You know, um, I think Lady Gaga changes costumes quite frequently, so she may be in, in, in a good position. But for example, somebody that's in you know a corset for a long opera may really want to just be aware of how tight is, does this corset actually really have to be. <laughs> now, there are a number of other considerations facing the touring vocal artists once they arrive at the place where they're going to perform. Venues come in many different shapes and sizes. How can singers best adjust to the qualities of the various spaces in which they perform? Have a really good sound engineer. <laughs> Actually, there is one little tip that, that I was looking for a, a moment to pass along. Um, certainly, as every musician knows, um, you kind of live or die by the quality of your monitors. Those are the speakers that don't face the audience, but face back toward the performers so that they can hear themselves and know what's going on. Without good monitors, a singer is very much in danger of straining because they can't tell um, whether they're being heard or how their performance is going. Um, A colleague here, I'll give a shout out to Nancy Sadat, uh, another speech therapist in Santa Monica, um, has said that, well, if you don't have a good monitor, put an earplug in one ear and you will at least hear yourself well enough um, to avoid that kind of strain. So that's, a, that's a, again, a low-tech tip that, that can be very helpful. Anything to add to that, Sarah? 
So one recommendation is not to oversing. Um, and I think that can be helped by the sound system that you use, depending on the venue that you're in. It might be a venue where you, there's nobody running a sound check. It's basically there's an amplifier and somebody turns it on and you have to figure out how to make things work. Um, it might be somewhere where you can do, actually do a sound check and adjust um, the monitors, the volume in the monitors. Uh, one suggestion I made to a patient of mine was, who actually had a monitor for practicing with her band was to actually bring that monitor with her to different venues so that she could hear herself sing because that's going to really help protect your voice. Sound systems also vary radically from place to place. Some artists, like Celine Dion, for instance, who uses Maya sound equipment, which is made right here in the Bay Area, actually travel with their own sound equipment. What pressures do the monitors, mics, speakers, and so on of various venues put on vocalists, and how can artists mitigate these challenges if they can't afford to travel with their own setup, like Celine? Yeah, unless you ha are, are a big name with lots of money, you may not be able to afford that. Um, I think that... Um, in, one, in the case of one of my patients, I suggested that she bring her own monitor. She had a monitor for when she practiced with her band. Bring it into that venue, plug it in and set it up, and then you can adjust your sound for yourself. Um, also, you know, meeting with the sound people before is always an important um, task because then they can adjust so that you can hear yourself. Another consideration is maybe in-ear monitors. Some people like them, some people don't, but at least you can hear yourself. That was a taste of Hayley Williams, the lead singer of the Grammy-nominated and platinum-selling rock band Paramore, doing her warm-up exercises with her vocal instructor. What a good girl. Paramore is a band which tours all over the world, so Williams is frequently on the road. On tonight's Voice Box, voice specialists Joanna Kasdan and Sarah Schneider are with me for a conversation about vocal health for the touring vocal artist. Joanna and Sarah, warming up is always important for singers, of course, but is it especially important when you're on the road? Well, hopefully uh, this singer has developed a warm-up routine that they've done at home and brought it with them on the road so that they can get their body and their voice warmed up for the day. Um, it's probably best to do that warm-up in the morning and then um, do a little bit of warming up prior to the performance. I don't know if it's more important on the road than otherwise. Um, it's, it's, it's probably more difficult because you may not have the time and the privacy to do the warm-up that you'd like. I generally recommend for people to do their primary warm-up early in the day, that is, when they're to really get the body working, get the voice working, really know what they're, what they're doing and sort of take the temperature of their voice that day. And then before the show, not to, not to over-sing, but focus more on, again, just keeping their body loose, focusing on what the particulars of the performance need to be, but not really doing a, more than maybe five or five or eight minutes of actual vocalizing right before the show. You don't need that much if you've been in shape and warmed up well earlier in the day. 
Warming up when you're traveling can be especially challenging though, can't it? What if you're in a club and you don't have time or space to do your usual warm up? Or what if there isn't a piano readily available? So one of my colleagues always says, make sure you have a warm up routine that is good for a bathroom stall. <laughs> so it doesn't require a lot of movement. It doesn't require a piano. Um, make it, I, I don't think a piano is necessarily necessary. You could do glides. You could do sirens. You could do, um, you know, even a, a meditation to unload some tension um, and just stretch out your body. Can you give us an example of a uh, glide and a siren? Sure. So you could do um, you could do a, a glide on a trill and on a, a tongue out trill like a or a, a siren up and down. Okay, so those are perfect in a way. You don't need any kind of yeah, uh, equipment for that. Just you and some silly noises in a, in a bathroom stall and just hope that no one's lurking nearby and thinks there's someone really strange yes. in there. What about cooling down after a performance? Why is this crucial? So I always equate this to like stretching after you work out. And a lot of people will say, well, I don't stretch after I work out. But if you did stretch, it would feel better. <laughs> so I think the same thing for a vocal cool down. Uh, you're unloading tension. You're promoting a healthy, um, healthy use of your voice after maybe um, pushing it to the limit maybe a little bit. So you really want to make sure that you allow for healing. How can singers handle vocal demand when they're not actually on stage? So I think the biggest thing is to know your limits, know your voice, know what your voice can handle and listen to your body. If you're doing too much, take a break. Um, you know, um, people call uh, all voice use tasks, whether it's talking on the phone, talking to a friend, humming in the shower, all of that takes vocal energy. So save most of your vocal energy for the show. This is Voicebox on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco. The bass baritone Thomas Kvasthoff singing Gute Nacht, the first song from Schubert's Winterreise song cycle, one of the most epic vocal works about a journey ever written. Kvasthoff was accompanied in this live 2005 recording from the Berlin Philharmonic by Daniel Barenboim. On tonight's Voice Box, I'm visiting voice pathologist Sarah Schneider at her office at the UCSF Medical Center, while Joanna Kasdan, also a voice pathologist, joins us on the phone from LA for a discussion about vocal healthcare while touring. Now, classically trained singers like Kvasthoff spent as much of their lives on the road as pop singers. Are there any differences in the way that vocalists should look after their voices depending on what style of singing they do? That's a really good question. I, I, I would suspect that the differences are more in terms of their income level than their genre and, and also the expectations of, of the kind of the culture that surrounds their style of music. A classical singer is not expected to do a long show every night of the week, um, whereas a rock musician is expected to kind of use themselves up and, and almost destroy themselves on stage to prove how much they love their audience. So the cultural expectations are different. I, I think 
the, the vocal demands might be more similar. But Sarah, what do you think? Well, I think there are differences in the way people manages, manage their voice, uh, depending if they're classically trained versus if they're singing in a rock band. Um, however, I think that the vocal health aspect is still the same. They should still warm up their voice, cool down. What vocal health considerations should singers take into account if they're soloists versus singing in a group, such as a chorus or backing singers for a band, for example? So always sort of knowing, um, can, I, can I use volume variations in my voice to, um, to conserve? And that may be easier, more easily done in a group setting versus a solo setting. But paying attention to when you can give and when you can back off. Tour schedules can be relentless and debilitating. I had a group here recently who had just arrived at the studio from a cross-country flight. They recorded the Voice Box show, which included a live performance, and then went straight into San Francisco to soundcheck and perform two sets, one at 8pm and one at 10pm, at the Great American Music Hall. By the time they reached me, the musicians were already exhausted and I wondered how they were going to make it through to midnight. Given the hectic nature of the modern world, what can be done to limit the toll that vocal artists' schedules can take on singers' sense of well-being? Uh, I think that's a tough one because if you're an artist starting out, you might be booking your gigs and singing in your gigs. Um, so I think it's really a balancing act, figuring out when you can say no and actually being okay with saying no and having a healthy sense of self-awareness where you can say, I'm going to go home and not go out after the show, for example. I was feeling so bad. I asked my family doctor just what I had. Voice Box on KALW. On tonight's show, voice experts Sarah Schneider and Joanna Kasdan are on hand. We're chatting about how singers can best cope with the rigours of touring. It seems like in addition to all the things we've talked about tonight, from how to deal with throat-drying air travel to handling the various sound systems of different venues, there are some other aspects of a touring vocalist's life that we need to consider that are perhaps less obvious but still very important. Let's start by addressing the issue of vocal fatigue. Is some vocal fatigue normal when you're traveling? Uh, I think that some fatigue, depending on, on what you're doing with your voice, might be normal. Um, that's why it's really important for a vocalist or a singer to know their voice. Um, and there's a difference between I've overused my voice and I'm tired or I've you know, had a long performance and I'm tired because I'm also physically fatigued. So being able to tell that difference is important. What are the warning signs of an impending vocal problem? Uh, some of the warning signs can be fatigue. That's why it's important to be able to tell the difference between the good and the bad. Um, it could be a quality change. It could be um, pain after voice use. It could be that you wake up the next day and your voice is raspy and that and you're not sick and it was just from voice use. And those might be indicators of sort of the onset of trouble. How can singers increase their overall awareness of voice use patterns and their vocal strengths and limitations? I think training is a good way to do that. Um, some, for some people, though, it's just trial and error. It's sort of knowing it's, you know, they, they know they pushed it too much, and then from now on they back off a little bit earlier. Um, I think the best 
form of developing awareness is practice. What kinds of vocal choices can touring singers make to help ease the pressures of touring? One can be not overbooking yourself. Sometimes that's not really an option, though. So being careful about booking, being careful about um, about the demand you put on yourself outside of the actual performance. Do you have to talk all day in the bus? Do you have to... Maybe you need to do an interview, but you don't have to call your mom for 45 minutes after that interview. You know, those sorts of things. Just be careful about how much you're using it. There are some performers like Bob Dylan who seem able to just stay on the road forever. Is there a time in a singer's life when he or she should just simply decide to stay home and not tour? Um, I, I think that's such an individual thing. Ideally, someone knows when it's time to retire. But again, you know, Dylan works in a style where the absolute perfect quality of the voice is not as important as his, as, as his message and energy and lyrics. I mean, I think if you're if people still are paying for tickets, maybe they, that's the impetus for staying on the road. But I think I, I think most people probably know when they should stop. Um, I think the other issue is if there's in vocal problems that are you're having a hard time reining in, it might be time to take a little break. How can singers build up the necessary stamina to help them get through and even flourish on an extended tour? Practice, practice, practice. It's um, important not to go from zero to 60. You know, you, you leave home and suddenly you're performing seven nights a week or five nights a week. You want to make sure that you are practicing, performing, doing those um, vocal activities prior to go just going on the road. It's sadly approaching the end of our show for this week. Um, by way of wrapping things up, I think it would be great, Sarah and Joanna, if you could share with us your top few tips regarding what singers can do to stay healthy on the road. Uh, the first one I would say is listen to your body. Uh, know, know your strengths and weaknesses. And if your body is telling you to take a little break, you know, take a little break. So that way you don't push past the limit and cause yourself issue. The other thing I think we talked about is getting a baseline and really knowing what your vocal folds look like. So if you do run into trouble, you have that as sort of a, a backup. Anything to add to that, Joanna? Just really respect that your body is your instrument and take care of your body in all the wellness. There's so much information now about wellness. And artists sometimes think that they're supposed to be unhappy and they're supposed to suffer. That is not true. Just take it seriously. You know, yes, hydration is important. Yes, warming up is important. There's a lot of information about that. But I, the core of it has to be self-esteem and self-care and being willing for other people to think that you're indulgent. I'd like to extend my gratitude to our wonderful guides on tonight's journey, Joanna Kasdan and Sarah Schneider. Thanks to both of you for sharing your expertise with us. No problem. It was fun. Thanks. Thanks, Lloyd. This episode of Voicebox was generously underwritten by the American Speech-Language Hearing Association, making effective communication a human right, accessible and achievable for all. Visit www.asha.org and enter Voice Disorders into the homepage search engine for more information. Voicebox is produced at the studios of KALW in San Francisco. The series producer is Seth Samuel, the web editor is Victoria Lim, and the membership and development director is John Bischoff. Voicebox can only exist with support from you, our listeners. 
To find out how you can become more involved with Voicebox, including how to make a much-needed tax-deductible donation to keep us on the air, please visit our website at voicebox-media.org. Donating is safe, easy and tax-deductible through our online PayPal link. And don't forget that you can now listen to the latest edition of Voicebox and any of the station's other great locally produced music programmes on demand via KALW's online music player. Listen in whenever you like at www.klw.org music. And some really exciting news. Voicebox now has a weekly podcast. Yes, you can hear our shows every week online on iTunes via the Voicebox website at www.voicebox-media.org. On next week's show, I'll be joined in the studio by the New York-based musical theatre composer Dave Malloy. We'll be chatting about how songsmiths go about writing show-stopping show tunes for the modern musical stage without resorting to tired techniques and clanking cliches. Tune in next Friday at 10 here on KALW. I'd like to play us out with a song that in many ways makes peace with and even romanticises the challenges of being on the road. Here's the wonderful British baritone Christopher Maltzman and pianist Roger Vignoles with The Vagabond from Rafe Vaughan Williams' Songs of Travel Song Cycle. The words are by Robert Louis Stevenson. Have a songful week. Give to me the life I love. Let the lave go by me. Give the jolly heaven above and the byway nigh me. Bed in the bush with stars to see.